everyone, welcome to another episode of SumoCast. You're listening to Laura Young and co-host Rebecca Sweetmore. Hi. So today we're going to be chatting about code and it's our second in our Getting Into the Industry series. We're going to be discussing how you can break into the industry as a programmer. We're joined by three fabulous guests, Holly Brown, a UI programmer at Simo Sheffield, Dale Green, a programmer at Red Kite Games, and Ben Harris, our internal code recruiter. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Did you want to give us a little bit of an introduction to what you guys do? Yeah, so uh, I'm a UI programmer, so that means I work on the elements of the game that players see and interact with to accomplish things. So this is menus, things collected, what level you're on, missions, ammo, who's on your team. My job is how all of that works, looks, and moves, and it's different for every game, and that's part of why it's so fun. Yeah, um, so I don't have a specialty. I'm a programmer at Red Kite. Um, recently, I've been sort of tending more towards AI programming, and even more specifically, Buddy AI. Um, so I write the code to make sure that your computer-controlled teammates don't suck and make the game fun <laughs> for you. <laughs> awesome. Ben? My name's Ben Harris. I'm a senior recruiter here at the Sumo Group. Um, I look after two areas for the Sumo Group in terms of recruitment. first one is QA, um, and the second one is code. So... With code, I spend a lot of my time sort of liaising with senior leadership uh, within each studio at Sumo. And my job is to help facilitate the recruitment for uh, code disciplines across the group. And that could range from a multitude of different disciplines as well. So obviously, as we've kind of already touched on a little bit, just hearing about what you guys do, there's so many different disciplines within code. Um so what, what are just some of them from, from your point of view? Obviously, it's an, an umbrella term, but um, what are kind of the specialties within that? Yeah, well, um, as mentioned already, we already have a UI programmer on the call. Um, and I think, Dale, would you, I don't know whether this is a nice term, but would you say you're a generalist? I hate using that term. Yeah, with a studio like Red Kite, with the size we are, everyone kind of has to wear multiple hats. So there's a few people that have, specialist roles like we have a team that are dedicated to doing graphics and those guys have insane minds and do insane stuff and that's what they do (laughs) and then a large part for the rest of us is yeah that kind of generalist role do a little bit of everything I think now we're getting a bit bigger you kind of you kind of starting to see people tend towards certain areas and like myself I'm sort of tending towards AI Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah I think as we're growing people are getting specialists but yeah we've all had to wear multiple hats and you've had people that have dipped into doing a bit of networking a bit of ui ai um, and sort of doing a bit of everything so i think i wanted to just come back to that comment you made then about graphics programmers and their insane minds and um, i think it's quite a difficult job from what i've i mean i'm not a programmer myself but from speaking to programmers i think especially with graphics programming it is all about maths and obviously, they need to make sure that, I don't know, say, for instance, fire actually looks like fire when you're playing a game. Um, and there's a lot of work around rendering and optimization. So would you say it's quite a difficult area to work with? Or is it enjoyable? How would you sort of describe that area? I mean, I agree that it's very different. I mean, looking at some of their guys' screens and what they're working on, I would just be lost. It's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different skill set. Yeah, the maths that you need to to be able to work in rendering is insane. Um, yeah, you 
it's a definitely a different skill set. It all looks like good fun because I think one of the things with rendering and graphics is um, there's such visual feedback for the work that you're doing. Like I love working on AI and working on systems and that kind of thing. But my kind of visual feedback might be um, like looking at some debug stuff for some behavior tree, which would be like lines of text. And I'm like, oh, I've done a good job today because this line is now green instead of red, which means it works. <laughs> but then you get some render programmer that's like, oh, look what I've done today. And they've got some incredible scene where this thing's on fire and this thing explodes. And I don't know, <laughs> they've included ray tracing. So now you can see your face shining in car windows and things. <laughs> Instant gratification. Yeah. The, yeah. The feedback is, is insane, but I guess it's deserved for what they have to do to get that. Where on earth do you begin then? If you're like looking to... So let's pretend for a second I've got the capability to become a programmer um, and I am in sixth form or college and I'm looking to take the next steps because I want a career in programming in video games. Is there like a base set of skills that all programmers sort of need to have before you then decide to go off in certain directions or do you need to decide which direction you want to go in quite early on? Most people, I think, don't decide until later on. Um, I'm an exception in that I knew exactly what I wanted to do somehow. Um, and my the skills for my job are very different. But I still went and got a computer science degree that is a, a game degree specifically. And so I think that's where a lot of people start. They start with a game degree or they start with a computer science degree and then go from there and figure out what it is they want to do. I think through your education as well, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think you're exposed to so many different elements of programming across all disciplines. And then is that where you sort of shape into the type of programmer you want to be? Is that, would you say that's accurate? It's definitely that, but I think as soon as you start making projects with people, you figure out where you want to be pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and it depends on the program. My, my degree, we had to go through physics and networking and graphics and we had to do all of those but i'm not sure that like if you're coming from a regular computer science degree they're not going to go into that really um and so then it would be making games with people where you figure out what you really like so just for me i'm an avid gamer myself and i have seen some frightening ui before on games which just <laughs> makes me want to turn it off what was it that sort of sold it to you for ui Oh boy, I realize that it's what I focus on when I play games. I I care about the menus. I don't know why, but I do. And <laughs> somebody needs to. Oh yeah, definitely. Um I I realized it in one of my team projects in in college. I spent a lot of time on the main menu for the game and on this little tiny animation that I had on there hours and hours and I thought, "Hmm, Maybe maybe there's something here. I care a lot more about this than the uh, graphics engine I'm supposed to be writing. You guys kind of mentioned maths as well. Is that like, is that a necessary skill to have, or is there kind of route into programming where it's not so heavily oriented on maths? I think it depends. I I rarely use any in my job, but I know some jobs it's every day. So it it's if you can think logically. I, I think that's where the base comes from. If you can can do math and think that way, then it helps with programming. But yeah. certainly mm. you don't have to be good at math. A lot of programmers I know hate math, so yeah. <laughs> it can still work out. That's really interesting because 
my like perception was always it was super heavy heavy heavily based on maths and I'm absolutely terrible at maths so it sort of never really seemed like an option for me um so yeah it's just quite interesting to hear you say that um but it's like would you say a university degree is an absolute must or are there other ways in? Yeah, I think it definitely lays a good foundation for someone. But having sort of worked at Sumo for X amount of time so far, I, we have hired people, uh, whether it's at a sort of an entry-level capacity or intermediate where they don't have a degree, but what they do have is um, a portfolio of their own work, which may actually be out there um at the moment, and able to play. Um, but I would say that usually, I think to get those strong foundations, you would need a degree. Yeah, I can't speak from recruitment side. Obviously, that's that's Ben's area. But I've seen people in industry that have degrees and don't have degrees. And I think you're, you're on, in terms of what you have to produce to get a job, that's a level playing field, right? The, the recruiter is not going to treat you differently whether you've got one or not. Like if you can show that you're a great programmer, you have a great portfolio, doesn't matter where you learn, you've got the skill, awesome. Um, I think what university does give you is kind of this pre-built package for getting there. And if you're on a university course, you know in four years, whatever it be, that at the end of it, you're going to be in a position where you will have had certain modules laid out in front of you. You would have certain technologies exposed to you. You will have a portfolio just as a byproduct of doing the work, right? Unless you're super lazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and so it feels like you have kind of like a helping hand in here's the path, do you think for four years, be awesome, and then you've got what you've got. Um, but that's totally not to say that you can't do that off your own merit. I think it just means that you kind of have to maybe sort of like hit a little bit harder. You have to force yourself to look at these technologies and, and put your own portfolio together. Yeah, that's interesting. And are there... Are there other skills that would maybe complement your programming application? So if you have uh, more of an emphasis on the way you communicate or the way you visualise your ideas, are those things kind of, would they come up in the application process? Yes, that would be very important. Um, and I'm sure Holly and Dale would be able to back me up on this. Although you're a, I wouldn't say earlier, you're a programmer. When programming, I think communication's vital because you're going to be, dealing with um, designers, um, potentially artists, um, QA, not just programmers. So I think having those strong communication skills is vital. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a team thing, right? So you need to be able to work with people and to communicate very well. And I think that, um, you know, other things like, like how well you can write and, you know, if you're doing a cover letter or the way your CV looks, like that, that matters too. But I think mostly... As soon as someone talks to you in an interview, they'll they'll get to know if you're able to communicate well or not. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing for a third time, but that just shows <laughs> how important it is. I've made notes on communication is in bold and in red. It's yeah, it's such a huge, huge part of the thing. It's not like team project or whatever where you can skulk off in a corner, do all the work, and it's like it's just there. It's a huge part, like with programming. Even talking about communication in terms of writing code and things, a huge part of that is 
sort of like initially identifying the problem correctly in the first place to do the right thing and then communicating that with your teammates and across teams and it's just absolutely crucial. So I guess that means you'd have a bit of a a leg up if you've taken part in sort of extracurricular game jams and activities and competitions and things like that because I guess that shows that you can work as part of a team successfully um like I know we often go to Brains Eden um but are there other other specific initiatives like that that you look for when you're hiring I think most of I think every one of our placement students has come from there and then a substantial number of our hires that come from uni have either won or taken part in the search for a star there's a really distinct correlation between people that take part in those type of things and the people that end up sitting next to me at the studio. Most of them have done something like that. Out of interest, how did you guys all get into the industry? Did you, well, Holly, you, you mentioned that you kind of knew what, what you wanted to, to do and that you were interested in UI, but how was it for you, Dale? Was there kind of a meandering path to get where you got to now? Or Yeah, um, I so I went to college and studied engineering, of all things. Um, and then it just wasn't for me. Um, and a friend happened to be on the programming course. So I was like, ah, cool, I'll do the course with Tom. Um, and I'd always played with making games in things like Game Maker. Um, I think Sumo are doing quite a comprehensive YouTube tutorial on using Game Maker, which is cool. Um, so I started with that way, way back, like, oh, God, maybe over a decade ago. I don't know when it came out, but a long time ago. Um, yeah, and it built from there and got into programming and it wasn't necessarily games related, but then that uh, that old hobby of making games sort of got boosted in college when I was doing programming uh, and then over to Huddersfield Uni and Red Kite had a, a helping hand in the games course. So Simon, Dave and Andy would come over and help us all out. So um, got talking to Simon and then here we are. <laughs> and here you are today. Yeah. <laughs> was it a pretty straightforward path for you, Holly, as well? You know, it it was, uh, I knew I wanted to make games when I was really young. I, I loved games and I, you know, was designing board games with my cousin. And at some point I started building websites and I, I didn't really know what making games was, though. And it was my grandmother that actually put me on the right path. One day she picked me up from school when I was maybe 11 years old and she handed me a newspaper clipping about this this uh, college called DigiPen in the US, in, in Washington. And she said, you know, I think you should go here. And that's exactly what I did. That's awesome. That's cool. Shout out to Holly's grandma. Yeah, <laughs> props to her. <laughs> and have you always done UI programming? Uh, in my career, yeah, that's all I've ever done. So we have got a few questions from people on social media uh, regarding applying for programming roles or the kinds of things you guys will do in a day. So I'm just going to jump into some of them. So we've got a few here about C++. Um, Someone asks, for junior or entry level roles, do you still consider applicants who may have more experiences in languages that aren't C++? To be honest, um, most studios across the group um, use C++ in development, um, which is, is a company with Unreal Engine. Um, so ideally, as a, as a minimum expectation, we would want someone to have exposure with using C++. Whereas 
We have one mobile development studio in Leamington, um, and the technologies that they use are C Sharp and uh, Unity. Um, so if that person is experiencing Unity and C Sharp, um, then me personally as a recruiter, I would be forwarding their application to, to Leamington for uh, mobile game development. Um, but I would say as, as a minimum and as a minimum requirement, we would need some form of experience with C++. But then to confuse things even more, we do have ad hoc positions as well. So we we are recruiting um, in Newcastle for a back-end programmer. Um, and their minimum expectations for that person would be C++, but Python as well. Yeah. But the, the good news is that if you know other languages, you can learn C++. <laughs> it's not too bad. And what is the best thing a person can do to transfer into game programming from a different industry in regards to their knowledge and portfolio and, and bits that go along their application? They should just start making games, start making <laughs> projects. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so it's better to kind of get more hands-on experience kind of doing it in their own time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely just jump in and start doing. I was just about to say the same thing. The favorite thing I've always done when learning something new and, I, and it always works because it's just you pick something that you like, right? And then you go, right, I'm going to replicate this thing. So if you want to move over into games, pick a game that's achievable. Maybe don't try and create like the next Assassin's Creed if you've never touched <laughs> Unity before. I don't, I don't know how well that's going to go. But pick a game that's like achievable. It doesn't look too difficult and start. And then initially it'll just be roadblock after roadblock after roadblock but then you'll hit one problem and then you go find one solution and then that's tucked away in your repertoire of what you know do that do that and do that in doing that you'll build up a portfolio of games and stuff you've worked on um you'll get good and then sort of be able to take part in game jams and stuff and then 12 months down the line you will be a game dev and then you can start kind of looking at applying opportunities and things like that so as holly said it's really as simple as just start making games. Someone's asking that in a lot of job descriptions, um, it will say that the skills required need to be at a strong or fluent or excellent level. What what would that mean for you? Does it depend on number of years experience or the types of projects someone might have done on the side? Like how would you quantify um, strong or fluent, for example? I've seen recent instances where grads have a better understanding um, of game dev than some intermediate programmers. Um, so it's hard to sort of quantify it. I think when we assess candidates, we assess them on two two levels or three levels, should I say. We assess them at a face-to-face -face interview um, just to make sure that they fit with the team and the projects um, and they sort of have the same uh, beliefs and themselves as what the Sumo Group has. But then we also test them from a technical perspective, and that could be technical questions via the interview as well as a code test. And I think going through that process would help us to sort of establish where they are in terms of their level of understanding. But I have had recently some grads that are better than some programmers um, that are at that programmer level. Yeah, it's it's um it's not necessarily the years that really matter. People at different numbers of, of years of experience can be at very different levels in, in technical skill. Yeah, and I think what Holly said before about just making games, there's a trend of these grads that are coming through that are very, very good. They've been making games for years and years and years in their own time, and I think they just built their own knowledge, and as Dale said, they've just they've built their expertise as they've gone along. They're not just relying on 
going to university and have started building games at a very early age. Okay, so here's one that might get you thinking. What are five things any good programmer should know? That's a good one. I think one general one, if we're talking just like it, it was specifically about programming, right? What's five things a programmer knows? Yeah. Um, being able to debug code is one. Um, and maybe more than just like technically how to use, let's say, Visual Studio to step through code. That's super important. But being able to do that and really understand the system and dismantle it is absolutely key because you all get thrown on some project and it's broken and it's however many hundreds of thousands of files and someone will go, will you fix that thing? And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you just have to know to like pick a point, stick your break points in, step through the code, use your programming spidey sense to, know which way to look um that's a very important skill and you pick that up quite quick i think when you get in industry as well because i don't think you are really exposed to anything at that level at uni yeah i definitely agree with that yeah along with some uh being being stubborn i might say having a lot of patience because it can take a while (laughs) to figure something out yes for sure um i think another one for programming maybe is um knowing when and when not to reinvent the wheel. Uh, usually the answer is to not reinvent the wheel. <laughs> uh, so we will have, like some people might get put on to solve a problem or do a certain task and maybe go off on tangents. And it's it's like there's probably a library that already does that or there's something in the code base that already does that. Inevitably, right? If you're working on a AAA code base, there's going to be four functions to do one thing. And they're all in different places. And it's because someone's been asked to do something, has kind of gone off and done it, but not just looked over to the left and gone, oh, someone's already done this. <laughs> done it um, in their own so way. I think, yeah, I think being diligent with that and yeah, knowing when is the time to innovate and when the time is to not um, can save a lot of time and effort. Yeah, I agree with that one as well. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, oh God, we're at two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe five was a bit of a bit of a big number to give you. <laughs> no, I've, I've I've got I think too. Um, I I think it's very important to know how to learn because there will always be something new coming up at any job. There'll be a new language to learn, a new tool to learn. You know, new the way other people code. You know, new new teammates work to learn. Um, so you really have to get really good at that. Just figuring out how to learn something and then um, also learn languages like any language can help you learn another language you know just the way that that things are structured and being able to jump in and do that is very helpful I I think the the point about um, always learning is I think really important the like we'll talk about C++ because I mean if you're in industry and you're making games you're going to write C++ at some point um, if not most of the time the standard for that changes every few years. And there's so much stuff that comes through that, like Ben said, you can have, I, I mark the code test, right, for RedKite. And every few tests, someone will use some new language feature. And I'm like, huh. And then I go look that up and I'm like, that's awesome. That's brand new. I didn't know that was a thing. I've learned something. That's cool. Um, and that's constantly happening. So, yeah, really keeping aware of, how the standard changes it's, it's really good and being open to it as well that's for i think that's a good thing you, you touched on um i think you need to be able to be flexible 
because the project will change. You may have spent a long time on something and then they'll say, oh, this doesn't work. We don't want this anymore. It's cut, it's changed, and you have to go in and change that thing you just built. It will happen. Yeah, I guess a fifth one. I was going to do a cheat one and say communication and, and sort of <laughs> spin the whole thing. Oh, it's so important. It's the fifth one. Um, I think uh, sort of like lateral thinking and the ability to see around a problem um, and kind of making do with what you've got is a really good thing. Um, in, in quite a few instances, you'll have to kind of like MacGyver yourself a solution because you'll have such set restrictions in the code base. They'll be like, look, we have this pillar that can't move. We have this pillar that can't move. You need to make this system work. And and you just kind of have to find a way to do that. And it might not be the nicest solution. It might go against potentially something you've done in the past, but you've kind of just got to learn um, to work with what you've got and make the best of a situation because rarely do things all line up so that the perfect solution is just there and works more times than not, I think, um, especially working with external partners and external code bases because you don't really have control over that. Um, you've got to really learn to work around the problem. See, yeah. there you go. You made yeah. it to five. You guys smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the last one, which I think is an interesting one, Considering we've all been working from home as well recently, um, could you describe what a typical day of a game program is like at Sumo Digital or at Red Kite Games? My, mine might have a few differences to, I guess, a normal um, day, but we have, in the morning, I will get in and I will update our tools because we need to make sure tools are up to date. Um, generally, one of the first things is to update the project um, because we work with partners overseas and things, different time zones and all of that. So while we're sleeping, those good people are doing lots of awesome work. So when we get up, we need to make sure we're up to date with that. So I guess in the morning, it's sort of like getting your cards in a row, getting everything aligned. Um, we'll have stand-ups for a project, which is where everyone sort of just in your pod or your group discipline, we will get together and discuss um, briefly sort of what the plan is for today and if there's any issues they get raised that kind of thing um, and then you kind of off then start to pick up whatever task you were carrying on the day before pick up a task from um, the endless list of tasks that everyone has to do it's <laughs> never enough hours in a day um, yeah and then sort of power through awesome is that is that quite similar to how how you work holly my my day starts the, the night before because I have my PC at home. Um, I have to get the latest code and start building the night before because it's at least an hour and a half long. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And then in the next morning, yeah, we have stand up and then we look at what everybody's doing for the day and figure out, you know, pick back up on what we were working on or if something new and higher priority came in, we have to do that. And then my day will sometimes, um, I've been doing lead work on my team. And so sometimes it's meetings. I get asked questions all throughout the day and have to interrupt what I'm doing, figure something out, help somebody, connect them to someone else, and then go back to what I'm doing uh, pretty much for the whole day. <laughs> um, and that's, that's most of what it is. And then when we're done with something, we do a buddy check. We have somebody look it over, walk them through it, and then we can check it in once it's been verified by someone else communication there i guess communication. Is, is key yeah communication the theme of today's podcast especially, especially <laughs> like holly said if you're in any kind of lead role or overseeing a feature so i'm overseeing movement on the 
project I'm on. And at times, you know, like those old school line operators that stood at the board and were plugging wires in everywhere. <laughs> you do kind of feel like yeah. that at some point. And yeah, someone will come to you with a problem and you need to know whether it's something you can slash should deal with or whether you're like, I'm going to push you over to this person because that's best. Is that sort of one of the aspects of the job that you really enjoy though or not? I, yeah, I personally love it, yeah. I love that part of the job. <laughs> um, on the UI team, you're already doing that. You are kind of sitting in this web of all of the other teams and all of their work and you're connecting all of it together to something that the player can actually see and use. So doing lead work on top of that is just like communication heaven for me. That's cool. What is it that you are looking for in a portfolio? I mean, first of all, for my benefit, what should a programmer's portfolio even look like? Like, is it is it code samples? Is it a showreel of stuff, depending on the discipline? I've got no <laughs> idea, so please, please help me. Having a game that someone can play would be fantastic. I think that that's probably more common now than when I started in the industry many years ago um i i had my games that i made in college but now i don't want anyone to see that because they were terrible but at the time <laughs> it was something that i would show but now it's i just talk about my work experience and and what i've done but if i was new to the industry i would definitely want to have some projects that the people can see yeah and just to sort of go further with that, I've, I've had some different examples in different formats. So I've had uh, people share their GitHub pages with me, uh, and that's stuff that they're working on themselves, or they're sort of contributing, contributing towards other projects as well online. So that's a good source of uh, information that we use. Um, so would sort of anyone that's applying at Sumo um, to include their GitHubs, doesn't even matter at what level they're applying at, because we're always keen to look at them. I've had people like Dale um, who send us through their actual games. And like Holly mentioned as well, it's always great to play someone's game as well. Uh, that would be number one, I think. Um, and then I've had videos um, uh, from people on YouTube and things like that of them maybe um, going through the code that they've done and what it looks like on the other end and um, sort of giving examples of challenges that they face when doing it. Um, and then screenshots as well. Um, so it could come in different in different ways to be honest just as long as we can see it that's the main thing so however you want to translate it to us please do we just want to see it yeah are there any sort of classic mistakes people make in their applications i think people put their githubs on um, and they maybe haven't done anything on it for the last two years or haven't done anything yeah. on it i think that's one of them yeah just making sure it's up to date then and and it is your most recent work it's not kind of fallen by the wayside yeah yeah it just make makes it look like you've lost interest doesn't it yeah. if it's not been updated for two years mm. i would guess another one is um somebody who's looking for a really specialized role putting skills that aren't really meaningful to it on there or maybe just flooding their cv with all these things they've done but yeah. not really yeah. paring it down to the more important things definitely i was going to say exactly what holly said about um that if you're yeah if you're applying for a special if you're applying for a networking role uh show some network so, Dale, I believe you're the the king of marking tests at Red Kite Games. Is that is that correct? The is champion. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and what is that test? Is there? I assume it varies again depending on the discipline within code. Yeah. So we 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 have three tests. I could be four tests actually in total. Um, so we have C plus plus asteroids test. 
uh, which is used across mostly all our studios, apart from Leamington. With Leamington, they have a C-sharp focus test. Um, and obviously, we've recently acquired Lab 42, um, and they also have their own tests, which I believe they have a C++ test and a JavaScript test. Um, where it differs for, well, across the group, um, all studios, uh, including Lemington, so not factored in Lab 42, we give a candidate seven days to complete, whereas Lab okay. 42's test, um, the candidate has an hour to complete. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure Dale can give you more insight into what the test actually looks like from Redkite and Sumo Group. So we used to have, just as an aside, I don't know if we still do, we had an internal one as well um, where we ask just some questions. That's just like pen and paper. Or I guess now everything's online, right? So keyboard and screen. Like that. Um, so we used to do that one. And then we had the C++ sort of practical game test that Ben mentioned. And that is a fairly small little tidy game package. It comes with a handful of books. Um, some like crash bugs. It's got some more subtle bugs that can be fixed up. Um, it comes with like a few suggestions for ways you can improve it. And it's a really good indicator of seeing what people's skill levels are. And it's interesting because you see, uh, you see the same types of fixes. Um, mm. I think one of, the, one of the big questions on it is a collision bug. And there's generally three or four ways that people uh, tend to tend to solve that. And it's, it's a really good indicator of where people are. And then with the kind of open-ended side of it, I think one of the questions is, essentially, it's like, go mad, make this as cool <laughs> as you can, it's up to you. That's then a really good indicator of seeing like people's passion and what they want to put into it. Because for me, yeah. right, if you're applying for a game dev role and there's a question where it's like, make this game as awesome as you can and you don't do anything for it, it's like, yeah. oh, that's so lame. Like, Waste yeah. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you get some people that go all out and add bosses and effects and it's really, really cool. That is <laughs> awesome. a, like we said, that's a C++ test, um, which I think we're sort of establishing that it's it's kind of a requirement to, to know some C++. So then are all of these tests like projects that they're modifying, not like a paper test? Yeah, it's a, you will, you get given a Visual Studio solution that it all builds and everything. Um, it's just got a few bugs that need sorting initially and then some extensions to gameplay that you can make. Yeah, and on the back of that, um, a, a recommendation from me is, is to take your time with it. I've had tests that have been, so we have a week deadline. I've had tests that have been returned to me within hours. Um, that just do not meet the expectations of what we're looking for. So take your time with it and make sure that you go through it yeah. uh, vigorously because Dale will be reviewing it and he's not afraid to say no. no. We, <laughs> the, the thing is that you get we get quite a few of them, right? And the bar's like really quite high. Generally, people mm. are good at what they do. And even if you sort of went through the test and only did sort of what was expected, given where the bar is, that kind of translates into a fairly average test. Like, I'm probably not going to say no to you if you've done nothing wrong because, well, if you can't justify saying no, then you can't say no. But then when when it comes to picking sort of the cream and the crop and the best, you will have your test where you've done what's expected and it's like, yeah, that's cool. And then you've got the one next to you where someone went 
insane and did all these different game features and really put time and effort into it. And I mean, it's a simple choice at that point, right? It's like someone clearly wants it more than the other. So you're saying that at that point where you have to implement your own features, you, that's the point where you're saying really focus on this part and stand out from the yeah, rest. Yeah, um, for sure. The, one of the key questions is the talking about the, the asteroids test in particular, there's a collision bug, which is a good indicator of um, what people know. And, and that's, it's quite an involved uh, bug. So having a really nice, succinct solution to that is is nice. And that's cool because it shows your technical ability. But then, yeah, when you have this open-ended question of, right, let's show us what you're made of, and you don't do anything, like that, like I say, it's just kind of lame. Like, do focus on it. Show that you're passionate for games, that you're passionate for programming, and just make the reviewer just go, wow, this is awesome. I guess it's an opportunity to kind of show show who you are a little bit as well. It's kind of like in an interview question where where someone will say, well, tell me about yourself, and you're just like, ah! <laughs> you got to yeah. think on your feet, but then, you know, what, what you do say does kind of represent who you are, I guess. It totally does. It lets you, like, show your flair. You have this kind of generic test, right? And for three of the four questions, most people's are going to be identical because it's a set question. It's like, find the solution to this. There you go. But then that end bit is like, right, put your stamp on this. If you want to move into AI programming, add some AI, and that's really cool because you've shown that you've got an interest in it, that's what you can do, and then that test is yours. And I guarantee you, I would talk to our tech director, Andy, and I'd be like, dude, this person just implemented AI. That's awesome. We need to speak to them. Um, Yeah, it's definitely your opportunity to just kind of show what you're made of. So did the test go out before initial interview? What's the sort of process? It it depends, uh, to be honest. Each studio has a different process. Um, So, yeah, it really does depend on what the studio's preference is. One of the things that we didn't really touch on at the beginning was stereotypes of a code job and whether you guys think that they're inaccurate or kind of what you want people who might be thinking about breaking into programming a code, what what you want them to keep in mind when they're applying. I, I think the most important thing is absolutely anyone can do this. And um, it it's... Some some people think about it a little differently. I tend to think of it more as organization and writing, and like you're you're building something with people that that's almost more like a story than than math or something like that. Some people are very mathy and sciency with it, yeah. And that's not how I see it. Um, but I'm in a totally different kind of job, and so I, I think it's really just that you can do it, you know, with your own creativity and your own way, and it is absolutely something that anyone can learn. I love that you mentioned then that it, it is a little bit of creativity because I think for for me who is I'm not a programmer at all and I, f- I feel like I probably do have a bit more of a creative brain but that that's interesting that it, it's not just quite rigid structures that you, you can kind of have a little bit of creativity within it I think that's something that I don't really hear about as, as much with it so yeah I totally agree yeah, you're definitely designing solutions and they're usually very unique solutions that come up. And so you're having to track a lot of different moving parts and make make a solution for that moment, for that game, for this. And it's very it's very dynamic and definitely very creative. I People would do the same thing in different ways. I 100% agree. I had the same kind of like 
misconception, I think, starting in the industry as well, that programming is, it boils down to ones and zeros. So therefore, it's an entirely logical pursuit. And it's just not. I've said for years, and I truly believe and maintain that a good programmer or the best programmers are creative thinkers because you just have to be to um there's so many moving parts and putting those together into a system that's elegant and nice it's like i don't know if it's just me if, if i write a really nice bit of code or a really nice function or a really nice system it kind of flows like music where you're like this thing goes off and does this thing at the right time and i'm not wasting any space here and it's like it, it, it it's like it really is like painting with code type of thing. And if you are creative and you can do that lateral thinking, um, you will excel at doing that. That's beautiful, yeah, that, that was... <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I aim to be the Bob Ross of <laughs> Yes. Awesome. Fab, all right. Well, Ben, do you want to give a quick shout out um, as to what roles we're hiring for? Obviously, you don't have to list everyone because I know there's there's many um, and where we're hiring at the moment. Yeah, so we just continue to win projects and we continue to have some very good projects that we're working on at the moment. Um, and to fulfill these needs of clients or our own IPs, we need programmers. Um, and it's keeping me very busy. Um, I'm losing hair as we speak. Um, <laughs> But we have a need across all studios within the UK for different levels and different disciplines of programming. Um, a true representation that would be on our careers website. So if you type into Google um, Sumo uh, Digital Careers, they'll come up there and that um, outlines all the roles across all locations. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. Um, so if you're not comfortable enough to submit an application, um, or there's more context you need or more information, then please do reach out to me via LinkedIn. I know mostly all the technical directors at the Sumo Group would welcome anyone to connect with them as well via LinkedIn. So if you are a networker and you, you, you're comfortable enough to go on LinkedIn, then please do reach out to us. If maybe there's something that's not advertised or if you have any other questions. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of um vacancies at the moment that's awesome so for anybody that is listening and doesn't know we've got eight studios across the uk now and we have also got a studio over in india as well um and ben if you don't mind we will link to your linkedin page in the podcast description so people can reach out can i can i just add like an ending note of course you can. Um, so i have been in industry i think coming up on three years and so I'm not too far out of uni that I don't remember um, how nerve-wracking it can be, like applying to places and getting nervous for interviews. Um, I think a, a really good takeaway is everyone's on the same team, right? And where you're applying for, they're not like your enemy. You don't, you're there to show what you know, but you're on the same team, right? So just show them that you know what you're talking about. Show them the projects that you've worked on and relax and you will be golden. That's very sound advice. Cool. So thanks, Holly, Ben and Dale for joining us. Um, if you've got any questions uh, regarding recruitment, you can tweet us at Sumo Digital 
or email cmo-recruitment at cmodigital.com. Um, we've also got all of our jobs up on cmo-digital.com forward slash careers. Um, also, if you want a little behind the scenes peek of what we've all been up to, what it's like working from home, lots of our folks have been using the hashtag sumo from home. So even though we're all working remotely, we're trying to stay connected with that on social media as well. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye.